Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. You know, when I first walked into uh, church this morning, uh, Richard greeted me and handed me this hat. And so thank you, Richard, for uh, just a kind gesture. He knows that I don't like having sun in my eyes, so. <laughs> but there's no sun today, but that's okay. But, you know, um, we're in between sermon series right now. Um, so Ryan asked me as a new pastor, a new person to this community, to kind of give a, a testimonial message. And uh, so this is my way of uh, just introducing myself and you getting to know me a little bit. And as I was trying to prepare for this, you know, I realized how difficult it is to try to condense your like, life in such a short period of time. But here we go. Um, you know, I uh, was born in the Philippines, um, left when I was four years old uh, with my family, and we grew up mostly in the L.A. area. I grew up in the period of the 70s and 80s, at the height of disco and fluorescent lights and, you know, and all of that. Um, and I remember uh, I had this conversion experience in the ninth grade where I became a Christian. And early on, I became very zealous in, in sharing my faith. And I was, like, passing out tracts in my high school and just trying to introduce as many people to Christ as I could. And I remember on this one particular occasion, I was um, riding on a beach cruiser um, handlebar with my best friend who was uh, riding me home from school. And I started to talk to him about Christ. And I said, hey, Rick, you know, have you ever, like, been born again? Have you ever received Christ? And, you know, he said that, you know, his, um, some people had talked to him about it, but they never told him how. And he said, yeah, I really want to, you know, pray to receive Christ. And and so he said, can I, we do it now? And I said, you know what, L let's wait till we get home to my house. And so I bring him to uh, my house and I, I, I bring him into my bedroom and, and I start to close the curtains and, and he's wondering what in the world is going on here. <laughs> and I say, I told him face this wall and, and kneel down in, in front of this like blank wall. And he's like starting to question, you know, what, what am I getting into? And so I, I pull out this black light, and I begin to unwind the cord, and, and then I, I turn off the light, and then I plug in the black light. And lo and behold, in, in fluorescent writing that I wrote on my wall was the sinner's prayer. <laughs> and it just kind of glowed. And he was like, wow. And I was like wishing I had just played some Sandy Patty music in the background to add more, you know, more of the feeling to it. But it was there that he prayed to receive Christ. And that's just the kind of guy I was in high school. I was just like always trying to like think of new ways and, and just like think of all the different um, ways to um, bring people to the Lord. But in high school, I was just, I don't know what it was. I was just like wanting to talk to anyone and everyone. And I remember like listening to a show called The Bible Answer Man. And, and he was this guy, Walter Martin back then, was trying to teach people how to like debate, you know, people from all sorts of different faiths and and I started getting interested in like trying to share Christ with, with Latter-day Saints and Jehovah's Witnesses. So I started like calling them up. And I said, would you want to come over and like have a talk? And I remember in 10th grade just being really excited, right? And Jehovah's Witnesses were coming to my house. And, and here I was, you know, with my notes that I had heard on the radio on how to share Christ to Jehovah's Witnesses. 
And as I was like telling them about why their faith was wrong and all of that, they came back with all these verses and I was like, oh my gosh, should I become a Jehovah's Witness? <laughs> I was just so ill-prepared and I was like, oh my goodness, this sounds so convincing. And so, you know, I, I remember just feeling like just floored, right? I was like, you know, I need to like understand what the Bible is really talking about. And that actually launched me into just, just more apologetics, more studying God's Word. And, and I eventually, you know, became like, you know, involved with missions work, you know, when I got to college. It was back before, you know, when there was the communist bloc countries in Eastern Europe and communist Russia. And I started like smuggling Bibles into Eastern Europe. I went to Cal State Long Beach down the street, and that's where Abby and I, my wife, met. And we were both involved with Campus Crusade at the time. She was in nursing school, and she wanted to do medical missions. And I was like, I want to be a missionary too. And so, you know, we kind of hit it off, and then she told me, but I come from a family of pastors. My dad's a pastor. My uncle's a pastor. My, my um, grandfather's a pastor. I don't want to marry a pastor. And I said, it's okay. I don't want to be a pastor. <laughs> and then... You know, to this day, she says, you tricked me. <laughs> you know? And so that, you know, ended up being this um, relationship that developed. We did intend going to the mission fields, but there were things that rerouted us. In 1993, um, it was the year that we got married, in January of 93. It was a big year for us because that was also the year that I went through my ordination with the Southern Baptist Convention. And I remember, you know, passing the ordination process and the deacons telling me that, you know, on April 1st um, will be your ordination before the church. And as I was like preparing for that ordination, I was thinking, oh my goodness, this is April Fool's Day. Is this like this elaborate prank that they're going to tell me that I'm not really ordained? But, but I did get ordained. And that same year in November, we had our first son, DJ. Two years after that, our, about two years after that, our second son, Derek, was born. Two years after that, our third son, uh, Drew, was born. And four years after that, we had our daughter, Alyssa. And three of my kids are here today. You guys want to wave? <laughs> They're like, oh, Dad, don't, 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 don't draw attention to us. But, uh, yeah, but um, I remember in 1997 when we decided to, like, um, begin thinking about the mission fields. Uh, we were informed by Campus Crusade for Christ that we had too much debt. And we acquired some debt because in the first pregnancy, we had some medical complications and we had these medical bills pop up. And so we reevaluated our options and we, um, we felt like God was calling us to plant this missions-minded, multi-ethnic church in La Mirada. And, and we ended up doing that. And I was a pastor there for over 20 years. But I remember being this reluctant pastor. You know, I wanted to be in the mission fields, but here I was um, in the city of La Mirada. And as we were like, you know, in the city, we were right next to a Christian university. And at this Christian university, we began having these students come and, and talk about justice-related issues. And I went to um, the school. I went to Biola University. That's where I went to seminary. And I remember some of these students talking about racism and, um, you know, and, and, and all this stuff that was happening at Biola. And I was thinking, did, did I go to the same school as you? Because I didn't see any of that stuff. But they kept talking about discrimination. They were talking about the poor. 
they were talking about um, worldwide exploitation, and, and I remember one student coming back from Thailand, visiting, you know, sex brothels, and, and talking about how this, this one particular ministry was caring for minors who had been trafficked. And here I was, you know, in the beginning of like this pastoral place, not ever paying attention to like the suffering that was going on in the world. My whole emphasis had been in trying to share the gospel and for what that meant for me practically was trying to get to heaven and bring as many people as I can with me. And so as people started trying to bring this more like rounded understanding of the, what the gospel was, I began to do this deep dive into scripture. And in Luke chapter 4, I remember reading this, this passage about Jesus entering public ministry, right? He was just baptized. He enters into the synagogue right before he begins preaching to the masses. And in the synagogue, he opens up from the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And he basically declares his mission statement. And Jesus reads these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And when he had finished reading the scriptures, he said, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so Jesus is saying, I am here, I've been appointed to preach the good news or the gospel to the poor. I've been sent to proclaim release to those who have been imprisoned wrongfully. I'm here to set at liberty those who are oppressed and, and to give healing to those who are blind. And Jesus is saying today, the scriptures have been fulfilled. And Jesus literally quotes Isaiah 61 where, where he says, this is what good news means. This is what gospel means. This is what I'm about. And today the scriptures have been um, fulfilled because this is what I'm about to show you. I'm about to show you what good news looks like to the poor. I'm about to show you what good news looks like to the oppressed, to those who need liberation. And so Jesus is like living out that reality. And so I began to like search the scriptures. Is that what gospel means? And so I began to look even further, and, and I opened up Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. And it says here in this passage, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news or good tidings or gospel, right? You could, you could interpret that, or you could translate that in, in those different ways. Who publishes peace, who brings good news, gospel again. Who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And so now good news is being put in the context of God reigning, of, of God being king, of God bringing his kingdom upon this earth. And this passage is interesting because it, 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 it's kind of poetic. It, it really doesn't make sense unless you understand what, what these mountains and this, these feet are. Back in the day, you know, uh, you know before they had um, texting and emails and telephones, the way they would like, deliver news from far-off countries is they would have people on horses and people who were running, you know, and they would do these relays, you know, that would encompass hundreds of miles. And if there was a war in another land, 
they would literally send different people like like playing tag team and, and to run back and give the news of whether or not they won the war or not. So imagine like you're you're like <coughs> encamped, right? In, in this in in the in the castle or whatever it was back then where where there were these people in a watchtower looking to see if the messenger would return. And, and so they would be literally high upon this mountain looking and seeing, did we win the war or not? Is our king still the king? Did we win the battle? And they could always tell when the messenger would return from a distance whether they won or not. If from a distance they saw this messenger coming back slowly and just kind of tired, they can tell by the feet that they had lost the war. But if they saw a messenger who was like running with gladness up the mountain, they they would know even without words being told to them, we must have won. We must have won because look at how happy those feet are. And this is what's going on in Isaiah 52. When, when this, this, this writer is saying how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. That look at the, the feet of those who are running up the mountain. We must have won. We must have won. Our king reigns. Our God reigns. This is good news. Why? We believe that when our king reigns, we can push back against these, these oppressive things. We can push back against these, these violent acts and bring this, this, this type of justice and mercy to our, our people. And so by the time of, of Jesus and John, you know, Jesus and John were talking about the kingdom of heaven and we're talking about what does it mean for God to reign? What does it mean for the long-awaited king to bring deliverance from evil. And so when Jesus talked about, you know, this is how we ought to pray. Pray, you know, that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wasn't saying by, and in meaning by the kingdom of heaven, that it was this like faraway place. When Jesus spoke of the kingdom of heaven, he wasn't talking about like this heaven that we go to after earth. When Jesus spoke of the kingdom of heaven, he meant by it that it's, it's God's reign here on earth. That's why Jesus taught us how to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That God's reign would, would come on this earth. And, and so Jesus was trying to bring about this like invasion of earth by heaven. And so Jesus, like in, in establishing God's kingdom here on earth, was trying to help us to see what his mission statement was about. What does it mean that Jesus was sent to preach the gospel to the poor, to the oppressed, to those who have been set, taken captive? What does it mean to actually like understand what the kingdom of God is on this earth. And so Jesus, you know, demonstrates what the kingdom of God is. And in this story in Mark chapter 2, it says on the Sabbath, Jesus, in verse 23, was, Jesus was going through the grain fields and the disciples were walking along and they began to pick grain. And the Pharisee said, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? 
And right, you can't work on the Sabbath, but Jesus and we had his disciples and the disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath and that was like this big taboo. You don't do that. It's unlawful. It's written in the scriptures. And look at Jesus' reply. He answers, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And so here was David back in, in 1 Samuel. He was like wandering around and, and his men were hungry, right? And as they were hungry, they were looking for something to eat. But the only thing to eat was bread that was consecrated, you know, in, in the temple. And the priest said, go ahead and eat this. But, but it was forbidden. It was only allowed for priests to eat back in the day. And, and so Jesus points to that story and says, you know what, you guys are basically not understanding what the law is about. And then he says in verse 27, then he said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so Jesus is setting us a, a, a way of, of showing us this is how you read Scripture. For the Pharisees, for the Sadducees, for the people of Jesus' day, they pretty much had this understanding of whatever the Bible says that settles it. But for Jesus, he was saying, you have to read Scripture in such a way that it actually gives life. You have to read Scripture in the way that it actually offers, offers true salvation to people. And, and Jesus is basically saying, yes, I know what the law says. You're not supposed to work. You're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to eat from this, this bread that has been consecrated. But Jesus is saying, my, my disciples are hungry. My, my disciples are, are in need of bread. And Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And Jesus was giving us a radically new way of interpreting Scripture. He was saying, move away from legalism. Move away from this, this understanding of Scripture that is, is bringing oppression. But, but read the Scriptures in, in a way that gives life. And so this is what Jesus set out to do. He was trying to set out to... To like empower, right? Empower the masses, empower the people. And Jesus goes on and, and begins to like preach the gospel of the kingdom. And, and he, begins, he begins to like share the gospel in a way that didn't make sense to the people. But began to lift up the voices of people who were in the margins. I remember uh, years ago. When I was processing through all, all of this stuff about, like, you know, oppressed people and everything, I, there was this young man who asked um, to meet with me. He had just started coming to my church at the time, and his dad was this, like, um, really brilliant apologist. This guy would debate, like, you know, anybody and everybody, and, you know, he was very knowledgeable in, in Greek and Hebrew and all of that. And so here is his son, um, you know, asking to meet with me, and... And he said, you know, um, 
as we were meeting in the Starbucks, he said, you know, my, I've been meeting with my dad and he's been giving me all these books to read and I, I've studied all of them and you know, I've been part of the church all my life, but I feel like I'm about to walk away from God. And he said, you know, you know who my dad is? You know, he's this apologist, and I've read all his books, and he even told me about all the books he, he like, you know, his dad gave him to read. Um, and I could tell right off the bat that this guy was pretty smart. He was like, he knew all the arguments for the existence of God and the proofs of Christianity and all of that. And so he said to me, you know what, um, I'm about to walk away from the faith. What is it that you would have to tell me before I walk away? Is, is there an argument? Is there something for, for you that, that will convince me that what you have to say is true? And I remember thinking, you know, what in the world could I possibly tell this guy? This guy, you know, was, you know, a really smart guy, and he knew all the arguments for the existence of God and, you know, this proof of Christianity. And I remember just, like, you know, spending this time with him, just listening more to his story. And I remember, you know, um, you know processing through all my conversations with these Biola students who were, who were sharing about all the, this, this oppression and how God was like, you know, um, how Jesus was, was looking at Scripture in this more nuanced way of like, what does it mean to give life to people who are actually hungry and suffering? What does it mean to like, like care for the poor and, and care for the people in prison and people who are, you know, in, in, in desperate situations? And I remember looking over at this man and saying, you know what? Maybe we're looking for God in all the wrong places. Maybe God isn't to be found in an argument, in a book, in an apologetic. But maybe God is to be found in the dark back alleys, in the most impoverished places. In the places, you know, that the church has forgotten, where there is so much pain and suffering, where people are marginalized. I remember thinking about that and saying, you know, maybe God isn't to be found in an argument. But the kingdom of God is with the poor, with those who are suffering, with those who are struggling. And I remember after that just thinking, you know what, I need to like try to figure this out because for the longest time I was like debating all these different cults and trying to present this argument for the existence of God. But maybe I was looking for God in all these wrong places. And so I began this journey of like, you know, going, um, spending time in Skid Row, um, visiting um, different places of of poverty and impoverishment and in Philippines going to some brothels and and hearing stories from people who have been trafficked going to West Hollywood and visiting HIV clinics that were there trying to you know help people out and just getting a sense of like the presence of God in these communities and trying to see that this is 
This is probably where God is at. I remember this quote um, that said, there is a mystery hidden in the fabric of creation. A mystery that Jesus talks about it again and again and again. In the least, the lost, the forgotten, the broken, we see the divine. At the end of ourselves, in our fragile and flawed brokenness, is where we often God, is where we often find God, and that's how mystery works. And so I began to spend more time in kind of like the forgotten places, in the back alleys, and the places where you know, I, I didn't spend a lot of time, and I remember just finding so much healing there. I remember one encounter I, I was with with a person I had met in Skid Row, and he um, was the self-proclaimed mayor of Skid Row. And he was pretty well-known. You know, I would spend some time with him, and we would walk around, you know, the different parts of you know, downtown LA, and um, he would share stories with me, and I was just like learning from him, and, and just, you know, eating with him, and we would spend some time, and I remember he like talked to me about the Sermon on the Mount, and I remember how he shared from, from, you know, his experiences, and thinking I had never heard the Sermon on the Mount presented in this way before. In, in, a, in the vantage point of suffering, in the vantage point of the oppressed. And he like began to show me a, a new way of, of looking at scripture. And I remember just finding myself like, you know, hanging out in all sorts of different places and, and trying to figure out, you know, what, what is it that, you know, that I, for the longest time, I believe that Jesus and the gospel was this argument to be debated. That as long as I can study scripture and just, just get to the place where I can debate every type of cult, every type of belief, every type of philosophy, I'll be able to win as much people to Christ. But here I was now being confronted with my own, like, with my own biases and realizing that, that Jesus himself said, how hard is it for the rich for the privilege to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for those who, who have riches to understand the things of God's kingdom. But Jesus, on the other hand, in the Beatitudes, was able to say those who are poor, those who are hungry, those who are oppressed, they have access to the kingdom of God. They have an understanding of the kingdom of God that most people don't understand. And I began to see that somehow my place in society had blinded me from understanding the things from the, of, of the kingdom. And God was inviting me into this journey of seeing that God was speaking in places of, of, of that were historically oppressed, places where they were marginalized. And God was like, like lifting me up and helping them me see that that this is what this is what the church needs to be more about you know for the past few months now i've been trying to get my feet into uh, the city of long beach and you know i remember meeting with holly one of the church members here and she's involved with um, precious lambs which is a a ministry that helps um, end the cycle of homelessness in long beach 
You know, she was telling me about this ministry, and I know LBCF is, is part of Precious Lambs, and, and, and so I decided to um, visit Precious Lambs, right? And I decided to, um, to look at what was happening, and so I went there this week, and it happened to be um, disco day. <laughs> so all the kids were dressed in, in 70s clothes, and, and I went to this one room, and all the staff, and and the kids were dancing disco and, and, you know, just getting a tour of the whole facility. And I remember thinking, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I remember watching the staff dancing in, in this room and just feeling like this is a beautiful place because this is where the gospel is happening. And so I know as I've like been on this journey of trying to figure out the kingdom of God in this world and you know some people have actually said that I've lost my way that I've compromised my faith um, that the relationships I formed with people who you know historically have been you know not welcomed in the church you know I've gotten into trouble and in, in the places that I've I've gone You know, when I look at the scriptures, and when Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor, what that tells me is that the opposite must also be true. That the greatest sin, the most immoral thing we can do is not to love. And I'm not sure the church has been doing a very good job of loving our neighbor. And so I know as a person, as someone who is part of this community, as I'm trying to get to know the, the community at large, the greater community, my hope for LBCF is that we would go into the margins. We would pay attention to what Jesus did when he started his public ministry and opening the scroll to Isaiah and saying that God has sent me to preach the gospel to the oppressed to the poor, to, to those who have been disenfranchised. That as the community pastor, I pray that we would pay attention to what is happening at Precious Lamb. We would pay attention to what is happening, you know, to the children of, of immigrant parents who are, are at Long Beach right now, you know, crossing the border. What does that mean for us as a community? Because I don't want to be a church where we are huddled here Sunday after Sunday just singing songs with one another and singing Kumbaya. If we are to understand what the gospel is really about, if we are to understand what the good news is, it is what Jesus said when he opened up the scroll to Isaiah. It is to set the oppressed free. It is to look at what is happening in our city, in our backyard, and to look at where the poverty is, where the systems of oppression is happening, and for us to take part in what God is doing. And I hope that as a community, that's what we will do. Because when I saw the, the feet of the workers and the feet of the little kids at Precious Lamb, I remembered you know, back to the words of, of the Old Testament, how beautiful, how beautiful are the feet 
of those who bring good news. And I pray that we as a community, what in this season of grief and the season of lament, would put our ears close to the ground. We would look at and pay attention where racism occurs, where homophobia occurs, where systemic injustice occurs, where all sorts of structural evils occur, because this is what Jesus did in entering into the world where he saw the poor, he saw the people who were disenfranchised. And that's where Jesus went. He was willing to, to like look at the 99 and say, I'm going after the one. And what does that mean for us as the people of LBCF? In trying to discern what it means to live and love like Jesus, I pray that we would put our ears close to the ground and hear the voices of those who are suffering in our own community. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. The God, the gospel, is much more than a ticket into heaven. But in the words of Jesus, the gospel must be preached to the poor. The gospel must be preached to those who are experiencing oppression. And so God, help us who are part of the rich to understand what it means to walk with those where the system isn't working for them. And so God, will you give us eyes to see? Will you give us ears to hear? Would you enlarge our capacity to love and so that in the next few weeks and months as we celebrate um, being able to re-enter the building, help us to think who isn't here who isn't here. And so God, help us to open our eyes, open our ears, to pay close attention. That God, you would transform us. And that God, in this process, you would save us from our own selfishness. You would save us from our own apathy. And so enlarge our capacity to love. Give us grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.